so much of the literature in this country and around us is really the point of view of, um, you know, academics. I mean, you've done, you know, your, your, so much of your work is about that. Uh, South Asian departments um, that have, uh, from, from my point of view, and certainly I know from yours, a somewhat compromised point, point of view. So this was my way of studying Indian history, certain episodes of it in America, from the Indian immigrant point of view. And then, of course, you know, with being different, this whole idea that understanding really why we as a community and why we Indians are different and how has our background and our unique sort of heritage shaped the way we view the world. And so I've tried to bring that view of the world, my Indian view of the world, to some of the, uh, the, the material that I'm researching. Namaste. I have a very interesting guest today. Her name is Shifali, Shifali Chandan. Uh, we've known each other for a number of years. Uh, she is a practicing Hindu, a good scholar. Uh, she has a master's degree from Harvard. Uh, she's worked in the corporate world before that. Uh, and I'll let her tell you how we met and how she's helped me in the past. But she has helped me edit some of my books, uh, some of my articles and uh, then branched off into her own venture, doing similar things on her own. And we decided to come together and do a mini series. So Shifali, welcome. And please tell the viewers a little bit about yourself and uh, how we came to work together. Sure. Thank you so much, Rajiv. I really appreciate this. It's an honor and a pleasure to be here. Um, it's been wonderful to know you for the last eight years or so. Um, and uh, it's been a joy and a real learning experience and I want to say thank you for the work that you do for the rest of us. So um, the Indian community owes you a, a lot and I just, uh, I don't think I've ever said this before to you in person, but thank you for all, everything that you do. So yes, um, it, you know, I think um, I started working with you when you were writing Being Different and uh, I read one of your early manuscripts, I remember, and I knew, I'm a bookworm, Rajiv, I read a lot, so I knew when I was reading the manuscript, and this was in the, in the very early stages, that I was reading a book that was going to be very influential to me in person, because I, I was so moved by it, and I felt that it answered some of the questions that I had wrestled with living in America, and uh, it, it really hit me. Um, and had a lot of impact and of course since then it's gone on to doing very well and a lot of other people have uh, felt the same way. So I feel fortunate that our paths crossed. We were introduced by a common friend. Now my background happens to be in children's media and in teen publishing particularly and I, I've also always been a history buff and I felt that there was a need to document and to present to Indian Americans, as well as Indians uh, overseas, uh, Indians in India, in the diaspora, um, the history of Indians in America, uh, as well as certain episodes from our own history that we were not that familiar with, and told in a way that was uh, compelling and interesting, fascinating. There are so many fascinating stories in our history in this country. And so for the last three years, I've been putting together 
these stories, I have a website called Jano, www.janoed.com. And every issue of Jano focuses on one topic, and we really thoroughly explore that topic. Um, provide a lot of images, primary sources. It's very well researched. Uh, every episode has literally taken me almost a year of research to do. It's, it's been that intensive. So uh, try to follow in your footsteps because I know how much work you put into, into your work. So that was an inspiration for me. In fact, your work has been an inspiration for me. So Rajiv, um, you know, you've often talked about the idea of doing Purvapaksh, which is to say, uh, say study in, in the case of Purvapaksh, whoever your um, opponent might be, or the other side might be, or whatever your subject might be, from your point of view, and, and study it closely, and become really an expert in it, before you feel that you have uh, the, the ability to really talk about it, or uh, present your side of the story. You have to understand your topic, your subject, the context, and in certain cases, uh, the, the, um, the opponent. And so I felt that so much of the literature in this country and around us is really the point of view of, um, you know, academics. I mean, you've done, you know, your, your, so much of your work is about that. Uh, South Asian departments um, that have uh, from, from my point of view, and certainly I know from yours, a somewhat compromised point, point of view. So this was my way of studying Indian history, certain episodes of it in America from the Indian immigrant point of view. And then, of course, you know, with being different, this whole idea that understanding really why we as a community and why we Indians are different and how has our background and our unique sort of heritage shaped the way we view the world. And so I've tried to bring that view of the world, my Indian view of the world, to some of the, uh, the, the material that I'm researching. We are at some level of our consciousness, subliminally, aware of these differences. Yes. But we are not sort of openly, analytically conscious of what exactly the differences are caused by, what's the metaphysics, what's the history behind these differences. So the whole purpose of the book was to bring out into the open and in a very, in a very nice organized framework uh, an explanation of what these differences are about. So when you look at the history of how Indians immigrated to the United States, mm -hmm. you're looking at it largely through the eyes of West, of white journalists. Correct. You're looking at it through the eyes because they're the ones who wrote history. Right. They are the ones who wrote our history. Yeah. They are the ones who said that this Sikh guy came and he looks like this and like that. Yes. We don't have diaries of what that Sikh guy thought of them. Right. That's an interesting point. Yes. So what this empirical evidence that we're digging up in this mm -hmm. discussion, what this empirical evidence over the past two or three hundred years tells us is how the Americans felt we were different. Mm -hmm. This is the being different from their point of view. Yeah. This is, this is what, how they stereotyped us. Yeah. Right. So in a sense, becoming conscious that this is how we seem to them yeah. is a very important part of the being different project. Because it says we now have to take control of this, reverse the gaze and figure out what is it that's different about us. Right. And, what, and from our point of view, how would they be different? Yeah. Agreed. So do, do you see that? Yes, I do. I totally see it. And uh, absolutely, you're right. 
Um, it's very interesting to see some of the literature from the time. Journalists are the, write the first draft of history, as, as they say. And I have to say, when I first started to encounter this material, I was very shocked and taken aback. And it, it hurts to read some of the, the language and the name calling and the very hateful language. I mean, there's just no other way to put it. And the reaction, the backlash to these people was pretty intense. So there's several things, you know, when you start to research it, you start to see the, the level of um, xenophobia, you know, and Hinduphobia as well. And, and then you start to see how some of that trickles down even today in terms of the media coverage that we see about India. You know, I'm thinking of the New York Times and some of the rotten, lousy things they say about us, you know, on a pretty consistent basis or, you know, CNN. And, and you start to see, you, you, you start to connect the dots yeah. and you see the pattern. You say, well, this is where it started. In fact, it started much earlier. Right. But they're just continuing on a long tradition of this stuff. Right. So let's uh, show uh, a picture. Uh, this is a picture of the of the first boat, the first steamer, yes. or, or, one, or similar boats like this brought Indian immigrants very early on. Yes. So how, when did they start coming? When did we, our, our ancestors start coming to America? Well, the first group of Indians, there were always a handful of Indians, you know, who kind of, kind of trickled through for some reason or another before um, the turn of the century. But 1899 is when the first group of Indians, and they were Sikh, they were referred to as Hindus, Hindus sort of being the phrase that's conflated with Indian uh, ethnicity. Although they were presumed to be Hindu and all of the prejudices about Hinduism were imposed on them. So the fact that they were Sikh didn't really matter because they were presumed to be Hindu and all the Hindu phobia was kind of directed toward to, them. But I want to go even so earlier than that. Mm -hmm. Before this picture, yeah. there is a, a, a people from India who are indentured laborers or slaves. Yes. So here is a newspaper ad. So tell us, uh, now this newspaper ad is very interesting. I mean, the print is very small. People are not going to read it. So tell us some punch lines out of this newspaper ad by a slave owner of an Indian slave. Tell okay. us. So this ad is from 1776, uh, the year we got independence. And interestingly, it's in July, a few days after July 4th, which right. means that we just got the 4th July, 1776, independence, yes. and a few days later, there is this slavery. Well, as we know, um, you know, um, independence didn't quite mean independence for everybody. For everybody. Okay. Um, but um, so in this ad, we see a slave owner putting an ad for a runaway indentured servant is mm -hmm. really what they were. John Newton, who was actually an Indian, they were referred to as East Indians. They were brought by colonists some of whom had worked with the East India Company previously, prior to coming to America, and had brought Indians with them. They were baptized and then given Christian names on the boat before they landed. So John Newton was the Christian name given to an Indian. And uh, this fellow, John Newton, obviously ran away. And uh, there was an ad out to find There's him. There's a reward. Eight, $8 reward. An $8 reward, which I'm not sure whether it was a princely sum or not. And then there's a, this next uh, ad is only a few days later. 
Yes. And it's from the same guy. Yes. And now he's raised the price to $10. <laughs> so he's really looking for that slave. The indentured slave type Indians would get uh, merged with, intermarry, merged with the African yes. community, African slaves. Correct. Typically. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So now, now let's go to the, uh, the next slide. So in this ad, uh, we, start, we see a newspaper article. This uh, is an article in the San Francisco Chronicle in 1899, which is when the first group of Indians uh, really arrived. They came on the Nippon Maru, the, the boat that we saw earlier, steamship, like so many other generations of immigrants who've come to this country from so many different parts of the world. So, you know, it was fascinating to see, well, you know, Indians arrived by boat too. And they too arrived uh, after, you know, being on, on, you know, crossing the seven seas and landing on an island like all the other European and Jewish and um, Italian uh, immigrants did. So that was kind of interesting to make that you know, draw that connection. Nonetheless, when they came, they were primarily Sikhs, um, there was a lot of, you know, curiosity about them. I mean, um, they were referred to as fine-looking men in this ad and marvels of uh, physical beauty and uh, so forth. So, you know, there was a little blurb in this paper and they seemed to be the object of fascination. So what does this tell us? These are Sikhs uh, dressed very nicely, so who are they? So uh, this is a picture of uh, newly arrived immigrants, Sikh immigrants, and they're posing for this, what looks like a studio shot. <laughs> but basically, they, they came here on by boat, as you know, and they typically worked uh, in the iron foundries, in lumber mills, and eventually took up farming. So we have some images from that time around 1907, 1910. Uh, here's a picture with uh, about 100 years ago from uh, San Francisco. Yes. So this is what San Francisco looked like 100 years ago yes. and these two men are sitting there like you know just relaxed or something. Yes so yeah. it's very <laughs> sort of the, the sepia is actually not a filter it's an actual image. It's nice to see some of these old shots of old American of cities in America with Indians sort of as the immigrants. And then this one is uh, Indians working in some farm. Yes. So, uh, as I said, a lot of the Indians took up farming and they typically worked in the, in the Sacramento Valley. And here's a map of that. The San yes. Joaquin Valley. San Joaquin. Joaquin. San Joaquin is that and, the... and San Clemente Valleys. Yes. Uh, these are uh, California, north, south, uh, very fertile away from the ocean. Yes. So the fertile California is not beachfront, right. but inland. Yes. And huge amount of Sikhs have settled there even now. Yes. So the descendants of those uh, early pioneers, really is what they were, uh, still live there. So now this is interesting. Uh, this shows uh, not very well off people. So what do, you, what do you have to say on that? Yeah. So here we have a couple of shots of the kind of lodging that uh, these immigrants had. And they typically lived, you know, several uh, uh, men to a room. Uh, they were mostly single when they came. They didn't bring their wives or families. And so they lived and they shared accommodation and they lived poorly. And you know, you could argue that they probably uh, lived far better on the farms in Punjab where they came from, although there was a lot of famine in Punjab at the time, which is what motivated them to come in the first place. Certainly, the way they lived uh, was not a, a step up. You know, they were here for a reason, uh, to make some money, and then actually the intention was to go back. 
to India. And here's a shot about the railroads. They're working yeah. on the railroads. Yeah. Now, it's widely known that Chinese came and worked on the railroads, yes. but people don't know that Indians worked on the railroads also. Yes, they did. And uh, the Chinese uh, were at some point turned away because of the, by the Chinese Exclusion Act of 1882, and that prevented um, you know, additional numbers of Chinese uh, from coming to this country. So there were, there were jobs on the railroad, and those jobs couldn't be filled by uh, the European immigrants. There were more jobs than there were immigrants, actually. And so, which is why, which is how the Indians got jobs. So all you Indians are billionaires in Silicon Valley and all kind of other rich people. Uh, you remember, you shouldn't think that, you know, America is this great land, inviting, everybody comes. This has been a long struggle by our yes. ancestors. Yes. The pioneers, the Indians were also pioneers. Now, you hear stories of uh, Englishmen, pioneers, they yes. went and ha faced hardships and they built America. Well, these are Indians building America. Yes. They are doing the farming, they're doing the railroads, they're working in all sorts of jobs, struggling very hard. A hundred years, just a hundred years ago, this is what life was like. So it's hard-earned uh, success for our community. And there would have been many more pioneers of Indian origin had they been allowed to stay. And as we'll see in the course of this series, you know, eventually Indians had to leave and the doors were shut to them. Uh, but here we're seeing the time when they had just about started to come and, and really built this country or contributed to the building of this country, I yes. should say. So now it seems that things have changed because Indians, some of them came as indentured laborers, servants, and some came as entrepreneurs, free to do farming and work here and there. And being smart, they probably started competing for jobs. So now, suddenly, as this newspaper ad, newspaper article shows, uh, things are not going that well for Indians because of the media bias. So tell us. So they came in 1899. We saw that first clip. There was some curiosity, fascination, and that very quickly turned. So about from 1906, 1907 onwards, you start to see a pronounced shift in the tone of the newspaper articles. In the case of this one, the headline is Influx of Hindus Feared. So you see how the curiosity is turning to, you know, xenophobia. So here we have another clip from the San Francisco call again, and there's a little excerpt. They were brought here first by the railroads, whose demand for cheap, unskilled labor in their construction work was greater than could be recruited from the flood of white immigration. So it means that the uh, the non-whites were kind of a uh, labor overflow when, when there was more labor needed than could be supplied by the white immigrants than yes. these guys were brought in. That's the point. Yes, and, and the point is also that there were jobs uh, to, to be had. Yes. So it's not like uh, we were facing a situation of not enough jobs to go around. And the Chinese and Japanese had already been, the, the, you know, their, their immigration had been curtailed. So the first choice was whites. The second choice was Chinese and Japanese, but they were stopped. And then the th next choice was the Hindus. So here is an ad with this fellow saying, uh, arriving Hindus add to oriental labor problem. So now you <laughs> see how they're becoming, they're being feared, they're becoming a problem. You know, you see how the, the change in the language. And we always... So this reminds us of the H-1B visa. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so that's, this is the 100-year-old H-1B version 
yeah. uh, kind of problem. Well, we'll be seeing a lot more of that when we see some okay. of the laws that were put into place. So anyway, once again, and you start to see language like this, you know, words like filthy, dark, useless, dirty, lazy. Here I'll read out, it says very interesting that 59 more Hindus arrived yesterday. They were rather cleaner than some of the earlier arrivals, but this was explained by the people on the ship. So the people on the ship said that they, they, were, they had luxuriated in scant and filthy attire yeah. during the voyage. But the day before the ship reached San Francisco, each Hindu produced from his bag a comparatively clean suit and placed it over his tra traveling dress. Yeah. So what they're trying to say is that these are filthy people, but just before they arrive, they kind of cover it up with some nice looking clothes. And that very same thought could be expressed in a positive way where you could have where it could have been said, well, you know, they were concerned. Struggling. They were so struggling. They're working yeah. hard yes. like they do for European immigrants. Yes. European immigrants were very filthy people. Well, some of them were criminals who ran away from, mm -hmm. from the, from, some of them were kicked out. Uh, okay. And certainly well, they were certainly persecuted. Some of them were persecuted. for 30 days on a boat and you're not of very well-off means, you're not going to be, you know, stepping off a boat right. well-dressed. I right. mean, but they they thought enough of themselves to want to put their best foot forward by wearing as clean clothes as they yeah, could. And, they and that could be a positive. Yeah, and they were very proud to be uh, immigrants to the United States. Yes. So they could have been also given more respect. Yeah. The way on the Statue of Liberty it says, you know, give me your poor, give me your hungry and all that. Because the people who came in those days from Europe were not some rich, big shot type people. They came here to make fortunes. They came here Everybody, because... Everybody, all immigrants yeah, have come here yeah. to improve their lot in life. Right, so, right. And these were no different, but you see how this language, and what I found very interesting... I mean, words like filthy, dark, useless, dirty, lazy, caste conscious, yeah. these are littered all over the newspaper ads. And, and what is shocking to me was... You know, the media is supposed to be the voice of conscience for in, 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 a, in a society, right? That's the role that the press plays. Uh, but what you find in the media reports from that time is that they indulged in some of this um, very demeaning yeah. language. So there's, a, there's another thing from the new San Francisco newspaper. It says the Hindus are covered with vermin and are otherwise objectionable by reason of their filth the Hindus are being practically forced out of San Joaquin County. Yes. So there was some kind of a tension, struggle going on, and these guys were targeted. And you see how the tone of the language is, you know, getting worse because, you know, vermin is literally a pest yeah. and parasites. Right. You know, so they're, they're filthy is one thing, being a pest and a parasite is another. So here's another interesting ad. Uh, it says, highly undesirable people. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Okay, that's folks like us, uh, likely to become a public burden mm -hmm. as laborers are inferior. I mean, these are all uh, phrases uh, we, we clipped out of this particular article. The Hindus are not wanted in California. They are not wanted in any part of the United States. Yes. Now, today, 100 years later, they're definitely wanted because they are the ones investing more than anybody else in Silicon Valley and doing extremely well. So what, uh, what a disgrace to the American media and civic society for complete failure to estimate the potential of the Indian people. I think so. I think so. And this, this article that turned back the Hindu invasion, and we'll hear the phrase Hindu invasion over and over again, but I think this is the first time it was actually used. Uh, you know, an invasion is obviously an incursion. It's an incursion of folks who are unwelcome. So the, the, the choice of 
the phrase is interesting, invasion as opposed to immigrants arriving or, or coming for a better life. Whites were not considered invaders no, by most. the media. That's the point you're making. Absolutely. The same kind of people. Absolutely. Working class. Yes. Working class people treated differently. Yes. So here are a few more uh, phrases and excerpts from the same article. This one says, they are further handicapped by silly notions about caste. So you have to think, you know, it's almost as if the reputation of Hinduism preceded um, the arrival of, of Indians because <laughs> they'd hardly been in the country for five or six years um, and, and already they were being um, you know, stereotyped yeah. as caste conscious. So clearly there was a lot of literature preceding all missionary. of this. But there is missionary literature yes. which built this kind of up. And then the, another, another statement here, the Hindus are the least useful and the most inefficient of them. And then they are dirty and quarrelsome as well as worthless in the field of labor. Uh, and then their, their introduction is a menace to American civilization. Yes. Wow. Yes. And you know, what's again interesting, Rajiv, is that while Indians, of course, have thrived and prospered, we all know that there's plenty of um, you know, racism in the workplace, much more subtle than this. No one will indulge in this kind of name calling to your face today. But there are plenty of Indians who are stereotyped with similar kinds of things. You're not creative enough or you're not entrepreneurial enough. Or there are all sorts of things. And then you start to see that a lot of the stereotypes stand on the, are built upon these early stereotypes as well, which in turn, obviously, were built on some of the missionary Indologist right. literature that right. preceded this this time. So sure. you see how it's all connected. Yeah. So uh, so now here is a, 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 an article: a tide of turbans. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, this was an article that uh, was widely read and is still referenced often when you talk about Indian immigration: the tide of turbans by. Herman Schaefer, um, and that, that phrase, tide of turbans, is kind of stuck. And turbans, of course, refers to the fact so many of the Indians at the time were Sikh and wore their turbans. The fetters of caste and creed and their weird superstitions concerning the sea, they've come, you know, across the oceans. Again, you start to see uh, the same, caste and creed. And clearly, none of these writers had really ever met these Indians or knew them. But uh, the caste prejudice, there we have it, you know, the caste word that unfortunately Indians just cannot get rid of because yeah. you see it over and over so again. So this, this next one, cartoon, is fascinating, tells a story. Because here you have Uncle Sam, which is the, the, rep, the mascot for United States, and uh, he's holding up this uh, Indian in a very nasty way, and he wants to send him back to I India but the British Viceroy doesn't want to take him back. Yeah. So now it's like, you know, America says, kick him out, Britain, take him back. You know, he's one of your subjects. And the Viceroy of in uh, British Viceroy of India says, no way, I don't want this kind of guy back. Very interesting. Uh, Uncle Sam is tossing out this so-called, this court Hindu out of America. And the cartoon describes him as incompetent, indolent. And the British Viceroy says, ha ha, not me. I'm not taking him back. That's a... You know, there's also a whole lot we people don't understand. The post-colonial scholars have not dug this up. Uh, America, United States, and even before it became USA, run by white Englishmen. Yeah. And 
India run by white English men yes. had a lot in common in terms of how they described us, how they described people of color, how they were the economic system of exploitation, very common be between the two places. It's such a great point, Rajiv, and it's certainly worth exploring. And um, you start to see that really we're talking about Indians in the Anglosphere, you know, and it, it, they were all connected for sure. Canada was a part of that as well, you know. Sikhs experienced a lot of discrimination in British Columbia as well. The Englishmen in all these different countries were connected to each other. Mm -hmm. But the Indians in these countries were not. Yeah. Think about it. The Sikhs in California and the Sikhs in, uh, and the other Indians in Tamil Nadu or Bengal, also under the British, they were not in dialogue, they were not sharing their idea of the reversing the gaze and the stereotypes of Westerners, they were not. Right. And the Indians in Canada. So what happens is that the, the ruling elite, even though they are geographically scattered, and even though they are, they have different, even though they may be at war with each other, because America mm -hmm. got independence violently from Britain, but on a cultural, civilizational level, they are in dialogue, they are closely connected, they are sharing stereotypes and comparing notes about other people. Mm -hmm. That you got your Indians and I got my Indians and we'll compare notes and we, uh, you know, so yeah. I'm reading your literature, you're reading my literature. So that English-speaking world of, uh, uh, you know, Englishmen yes. is very much connected in, in there and sharing the memes about what they think of Indians. This, is a, this has never been studied. Uh, Post-colonialists study British Empire yeah. and they don't go and study the American mm -hmm. in the same time period how they're looking at Indians and comparing the two and that's a very important missing piece of history that needs to be done. Absolutely Rajiv, the Americans were getting their cues from the British right. and they were part of, uh, there was this uh, psychic connection if not an actual geographical connection between the British and Americans and I will tell you that the leaders, the elites at that time in America were quite aware of that. Mm -hmm. They knew, uh, I mean they probably could trace their own lineage back a, a few generations at that point to families back in, in England. Well, so, some of them but, made, so their, they were some of them made of their it. money in East India Company yeah, and yeah. came back, came to America. Yeah, yeah that's in, true. In first America. Uh, so, but you know the, the story, the, the, as I've written in my book, which I want to publish okay, at some point in time, the story is that actually the experience the white people have in America mm -hmm. predates their experience in India. And a lot of the ideas about Native Americans and Africans, mm. which they formed in, the, you know, in America before it was USA, in the 1600s and early 1700s, were projected upon what they thought of Indians. Yes. And then, and the missionaries came with those preconceived ideas to India. And sadly, and, we see that even today. Yes. And then, and so there is a project. So one is a projection of the the stereotypes about Native Americans and Africans upon projected upon Indians. Mm -hmm. Second is whatever the British then took with that and further developed anthropology and missionary work on Indians. Yeah. That gets siphoned back to America again. I so there's a back and forth uh, knowledge trade. There's an information network. Yes. Actually. Yes. And it's the same source, really. Yes. But the point, uh, the other point I'm making is that Indians don't have that information network at that time. At that time, where, not at all. Where the, the Sikh somewhere in America and the folks dealing with the British in India would also be in dialogue with each other. Yeah. That didn't exist. The poor Indian, you know, who's come as an immigrant. And, and what's important is that other immigrants from China, Japan, yeah. Korea, they had some support, mm. some legal recourse, you could say, 
from their home countries. You know, so when the Chinese were being kicked out and the Japanese were being kicked out, well, you know, Japan and China had things to say about it and they intervened and they tried to make life as easy as possible for their citizens and make it, you know, try to help them. But here you had the Indian who was a subject in his own country. And then they come here and they treat it as poorly. And this is when they start to recognize that connection. That, you know, until India itself is free, that there is simply no way that Indians anywhere in the world uh, would be, you know, can hold their heads up. And so it's the same thing that I think we feel today, which is as goes India, so goes the fate of Indian Americans. Yeah. Right? Well, now we move to this, this guy, his author, Fred Lockley, uh, The Hindu Invasion, A New Immigration Problem. So let's analyze uh, this fellow. He writes a lot of stuff very negative about uh, Indians. And let's see what he has to say. Uh, uh, he's uh, championing and making heroes out of European pioneers. They are facing hardships and they are in the American frontier as pioneers, entrepreneurs, brave men. Uh, but the Indians are kind of uh, doing the same thing, are not portrayed in the same light. Yes. And this, again, was a very influential art, um, article written by a fairly influential journalist. And he wrote a number of books uh, all about, uh, you know, Western uh, European pioneers in the, in the West, in America. And, and, of course, he didn't. And he, you know, the, the pioneer and the frontiersman in America is lionized in our uh, narrative in this country. They settled the West, they went where no one wanted to go, uh, they tamed the land, they made it easy for other people to come, they were adventurers, they were explorers, they were all of these wonderful things, which they were. They were self-reliant at the expense of the native Indians, but that's another story. But yes, they had some gumption to do what they did. And here we had Indians who were doing the same, who actually came from much longer distances and who were not coming to a country where they were culturally, uh, you know, when, when the English were coming to America at the time, well, there were a lot of other Englishmen here. The language was pretty much English. They were coming to an extension of their own culture. You know, that's the big difference between English immigrants to America at the time or other European immigrants, whereas Indian immigrants were coming to a Culture, a culture that was not their own. So the Hindu invasion article, it says, have you ever watched a band of sheep in a rocky and barren field pastured till the grass has been eaten down to the roots? You will see the sheep gather near the fence and look long, longingly at the luxuriant bunch grass in the next field. Well, you know, other immigrants, uh, I'm, I'm guessing people from England and Germany and Norway were not described as a bunch of sheep to begin with. So I'm not sure how I feel about that particular an analogy. Uh, nonetheless, you know, that's how they describe. They came from this rocky, barren field to, you know, luxuriant pasture. And then so it goes on to say... That's a very... The, the next one, tell us about it. It's a very nasty, sneaky kind of a uh, statement. Well, presently some old you will discover a loosened wire where she can wiggle under the barbed wire fence. And how long do you suppose it will be if you do not mend the gap till the green field is dotted with hungry sheep? So the idea being that these hungry Indians, described as sheep, 
are kind of envious of what's on the other side, which is very green, which is where the white people are or something. And now one of their clever ones will see a little gap in the, in the fence and sneak under it, you know, kind of get underneath, infiltrate under the immigration grid mm. and sneak in the country. And once these people start doing that, then they're going to eat up all this green grass. So right. th is, this, is this this Donald Trump wall uh, being described in this barbed wire fence because this sheep wants to sneak in. And if they see some little gap, they're going to sneak in and then they'll eat up all this grass. We won't have much left. Well, so do you, is, this the, <laughs> is, is this politics coming back? Not on Indians because now Indians got all the, a lot of money. Yeah. And Indians creating jobs in this country, right. huge, big time. Yeah. But now it's against Mexicans. So you definitely start to, to see parallels, you know, um, the talks about walls and boundaries and fences. Uh, I mean, this, this language we're hearing at the moment is not new. Yes. That's one of the other things you start to, it's been, it's been done before. This is an old script, Rajiv, and it's not been directed, I will add, only toward Indians, but others too. There have been other groups uh, very much at the receiving end of this. So here is another description of India. Yes. So he's trying to tell his audience, you know, well, who are these people and where do they come from? And there you have it. It's a land under a curse. This is India. This is India. India. Land this under is a India. curse. The, yeah. the folks that, yeah, these yeah. People, the, the country where we're, we're all coming from. The caste system, uh, a threefold curse of the caste system, the caste system, again and again and again, the caste system. You know, it's hard to... Now, of course, some Sikhs who would be reading this would be, might be mortified. They would, might add, well, you know, in Sikhism particularly, I'm not saying that Indians believe in caste discrimination at all. That's, again, the stereotype that we're always dealing with. But Sikhs in particular pride Sikhism as being something that really moved away from it. And yet, they were experiencing the very stereotypes that Hindus have always experienced. Yeah. You know? So there's three curses. One is yeah. caste, the mm -hmm. other is famine, yeah. and the third is uh, plague. Plague. Poison so, breathing so that's, plague. So that's the headline that characterizes the land they come from. Correct, yeah. Uh, there's nothing else going on there. There is, for history of science, mathematics, architecture, medicine, uh, beautiful uh, temples, Yoga, dance. Ayurveda, is, I mean Basically, nothing. the headline is that you're coming from a place which has three characteristics. One is caste, the other is famine, and the other is this uh, 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 plague. 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 And I, I always, I never knew we had plague in India. Yes. Plague was something that happened in Europe yes. in, in the Middle Ages. Yes. It didn't really, we, didn't, we never had plague yes. in India. From birth to death, the victim of this system is bound hand and foot. Mm -hmm. for, for him, there is neither liberty nor hope of freedom. Yeah. So this is, a hard, this is like hell that these people are running from. This India is like a land of hell that mm -hmm. they're coming from. Of sanitation, they have not the faintest idea. And then water supply is polluted. The very air is filled with infected dust. Yeah. So they're talking about uh, India of the early 1900s. And for a writer, you know, you, you think writers are a little bit more empathetic. There's not a moment of compassion that if, in fact, all of this is true, well, maybe we should open our doors to them. You know, they deserve to be here because they've managed to and get the away And the Europeans came from a dark ages. Europe was in the dark ages. You know, Europe was not a, some great place when the, Americans, when the Europeans first started settling this country. Yeah. They were, in fact, coming to America gave them the riches which went back and pulled Europe up. 
Well, well, certainly, I, I'm not familiar with the history of Europe at that time, but they were not, they were the huddled masses, right? But what's Im important to remember is when you study immigration is that the only huddled masses that were truly welcome were those from Northern Europe. Mm. And the huddled masses from everywhere else were not really welcome. But you see how uh, this, this, again, you know, these stereotypes, um, and you start to see the connection between what we hear about India, the caste system, the caste system, there it is. Yeah. It's all over the place. And in the same article, he says that uh, I, I said to a U.S. immigration officer, suppose these Hindus prove undesirable, how can we keep them out, unquote. Right. <laughs> yeah, he's not mincing words. Yeah. And, and, so, and, and the immigration official responds and says, well, you know, they are British subjects, so how can you keep them out? And I think because they were British subjects, um, they were allowed entry, at least, into Canada and the U.S. at that time, provided they, they met other, some other requirements, and uh, until the laws changed, and the laws changed soon after this period. So... Um, but the, he ends, Fred Lockley ends with a very interesting remark, and he says, you know, it may be true, because this immigration official says, you know, they're, they're freezing in, in the north. They should go to California, where it's warmer. California would suit them to a T. And, and he says, well, that may be true, but would they suit California to a T? And, you know, I but just I love the irony happened. in this, yes. because... It certainly has suited California to a T, and, and California also has suited Indians and been very good to them. Uh, and what is important about California, I think, for Indians watching this who are from California, is that the Indian story essentially starts to take root in this country in California. And we all know that this country loves entrepreneurs. So uh, they flourished, and they've certainly uh, suited California. And California, in turn, has been very good to Indians. Thank you, Shifari, for a wonderful discussion. You've done an awful lot of good research. I don't think most people of Indian origin living in USA or India have any clue about all this history. And maybe many of them don't even want to deal with it because it is troubling. In our next episode, Shifali and I will talk about how these pioneers continued facing many, many issues, racism, blatant violence, uh, many moves organized to block uh, Indians from coming to the United States. Uh, many horrible things happen. The story continues. So please stay tuned and we'll be back in a little while. Namaste. To help me, you can go to the subscribe button on my YouTube and subscribe. We need more subscribers there. Secondly, I get lots of emails on people saying, how do we donate? How can we help you? Uh, you go to rajimalhotra.com or you go to infinityfoundation.com and you can hit the donate button. If you're in a foreign country like in the US or somewhere, you can donate in dollars. There are different ways mentioned. If you want to donate in rupees, there is a column called uh, Infinity Foundation India and you click that and there are instructions on how you can donate in India.